0: This is As we've been studying the book of Revelation, we've been looking at these seven letters of Jesus to these seven different churches. And in each letter, really what Jesus is doing is he's saying, this is what faithfulness looks like for you. And for each one of us in the different circumstances and contexts that we find ourselves in, faithfulness to Jesus is still what God is inviting us into.
1: Pastor Daniel moves today into a letter about faithfulness. It's a praise of a church that has remained faithful despite circumstances that could have broken them. And it's an encouragement to you, a guide on how you should handle similar situations. When this world comes at you, and it will, you need to be prepared. You need to practice now remaining true to what the Bible says. Then when trouble comes, you'll be ready. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, as he begins his message, The Church in Philadelphia. So
0: there's a word that we're going to be coming back to over and over again today that I want to teach you. So is everyone ready to learn the F word in church? The F word in church is faithful. Say faithful. Faithful. The F word in church is what? It's faithful. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot because today, as I preach this message, is actually my 18th wedding anniversary. Yeah. Our kids told us that we're now adults as a married couple. You know, because now we're 18, and so we're out of the adolescent years of marriage, and now we're into the maturity of being adults in marriage. But, you know, I thought back to now 18 years ago. I'll never forget it. The first day of spring in Yosemite National Park, you ever see, gone to Yosemite National Park, there's that little chapel on the valley floor, if you haven't seen it, go Google, but chapel in the Yosemite Valley floor, Lynn and I got married, there was a place that she had always wanted to get married, she went there with her family growing up, and I had gone there when I was older, uh, camping, and I remember seeing that chapel, and never thought I'd get married there, and I I just remembered, you know, that 18 years ago, all of the excitement, all like, wonder what's going to happen, Right. And, and I remember now, 18 years later, that on the day that you get married, you make these commitments to be faithful to one another, to be able to walk together. You know, and now 18 years later, I'm so grateful that God in these 18 years has, has kept us faithful to that, to continue to work together. I know that's not everyone's story, but it is my story. And I realize that 18 years is just getting going, really. But when I start thinking about faithfulness, every relationship that has any value has to be founded on faithfulness. The Bible says a faithful friend, who can find it? And unfortunately, in our world today, faithfulness isn't exactly a priority of our world. It is of Jesus and of the church, but not of the world in which we live in it. We live in a disposable culture, don't we? It's like we do things for as long as it works for us, and when it doesn't work, then we dispose of it. We don't keep showing up. It seems easier not to be faithful today. But all through the scriptures, faithfulness is very much the fragrance of God's kingdom. It's the fragrance of the people of God. And what's powerful for us is that as the church, as the people of God, Jesus is always inviting us to faithfulness. Faithfulness to him. I I think about, I've been walking with Jesus now for over 20 years, and I'm so grateful that even when I'm faithless, he is faithful, and he can't deny himself, as the scriptures have done. I am here today as a follower of Jesus, not because of my faithfulness, but because of Jesus' faithfulness. You are here today not because of your own faithfulness, but because of God's faithfulness to you. And in so many ways, us As individuals walking in faithfulness It's actually a response to Jesus' never quitting on us I mean, I'm so grateful Jesus never quit on me I'm so grateful Jesus never quit on you I'm so grateful that in all the ups and downs Of the journey of following Jesus Jesus never says, I'm so over this person Like, get him out of here Like, no, Jesus is faithful and when I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember that story when Jesus, before he was arrested, the day before he died on a cross for our sins, he was in that garden, he knew what was coming, and it talked about how he was overcome with distress, so much so that he was like literally sweating drops, of blood. his blood vessels were bursting with the pain of what was going to happen. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to redeem humanity, will you... Do that way, but Lord, not my will, yours be done. If there's any other way to get this done, but there was no other way. And Jesus was faithful. And as we've been studying the book of Revelation, we've been looking at these seven letters of Jesus to these seven different churches. And in each letter, really what Jesus is doing is he's saying, this is what faithfulness looks like for you. And... For each one of us in the different circumstances and contexts that we find ourselves in, faithfulness to Jesus is still what God is inviting us into. Like I realize that for some of us right now, work, the lack of work, it's so challenging. But how do we remain faithful to Jesus when that's the circumstances? For others of us, there's just relational strife, there's brokenness in families. But what does faithfulness to Jesus look like when that's the context? For some of us right now, everything is going as well as it could have ever gone. Like it's all coming up roses, as they say. But the key is when all things are going well, what does faithfulness to Jesus look like? Now, today we're going to see a church that is actually, as Jesus speaks to the church, he says you're doing a great job being faithful. And in a lot of ways, if you've been tracking through the series with us, you realize that like, you know, it's been kind of rough sledding a little bit. There's, we've, we've taken a number of these churches that Jesus doesn't have anything good to say about. He says something good, but there's a lot of issues in it. And it's kind of like a beautiful reprieve for a moment to get a church who like, oh man, they're being faithful and God is doing work. And so we're gonna study together the letter to the church in Philadelphia. So open up your Bibles, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. We're gonna take this together. We're gonna to see the church in Philadelphia is a, a faithful church. So open up those Bibles, open up those journals, or if you don't know where the book of Revelation is, it's the last book in your Bible. So turn that thing over. Just go back to the left a little bit, a couple pages, and you'll find the book of Revelation. I want you to be able to read along. Of course, if you don't like holding books, you love holding your phone. So just take your phone out and and just type in your favorite browser window, your favorite Bible app, Revelation chapter three, verses seven to 13. Now it is hysterical because it starts verse seven, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia Right Now, of course, This is funny for me because, you know, I'm born and raised in New Jersey. And so Philadelphia was a city, a rival city, just off of South New Jersey. So like where I grew up in New Jersey, New York was just outside of New Jersey to the north, and then Philadelphia was down to the south. And so Philadelphia was like the arch rivals of all the New York sports teams. And so, of course, the word Philadelphia means brotherly love, which if you're from New Jersey, you don't think Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love Although they have great cheesesteaks, you know, but it's really funny. Some of my earliest memories of going to Sporting, but I guess it would be the equivalent here. You know, if you're a Seahawks fan of the Niners, right, it's like your rivals, but kind of not really. It's kind of like, I don't know what the answer is, but it's just so it's funny to me that the church in Philadelphia was a faithful church and is typified by this great love. And of course, Jesus invites us to love people. Right, it's, it's, the, it's the cornerstone of Christianity that we would love God and that we would love other people. But the church of Philadelphia says, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, really the big premise we're going to see here is that you and I, we need to take the open door. We need to take the open door because Jesus is talking all the way through this letter about this open door that he's opened. And the invitation for us is to take the open door and we'll unpack that in a second. But the church in Philadelphia was about 25 miles south of the church in Sardis, which was the last letter that we saw. So I keep making the point that these seven churches kind of run in like a little semicircle. And now we're just below Sardis. And really there was a road that went that pretty much connected Philadelphia and Smyrna. It was like kind of directly across from Smyrna, which was the second letter that we saw. And the church in Philadelphia, we don't know anything about how it was founded, but according to Eusebius in his ecclesiastical history, which was a famous book about early church history, that the church in Philadelphia it prospered between about AD, 100 and 160 under the ministry of a prophetess named Amia, who was universally recognized as one of the prophetesses of the early church. And so in church history, you know, there's so much talk today about women and women's rights. But it's like in the early church, it was well known that there was this woman prophetess who helped prosper this amazing church. God used her in powerful ways. And she was recognized in the early church as somebody who spoke as with the voice of God. Help lead in that way. And so this church was today, it's modern day Al-Sahir, which if you look in Turkey, if you look at Al-Sahir in Turkey, that's present day where the church where Philadelphia was. And to each church, of course, Jesus is revealing himself. And and this is really the whole point of the book of Revelation, something that I want to keep talking about, because every day of your life, God's goal is to reveal Jesus to you and in you, and then through you. So no that. So Jesus wants to reveal himself to you he, and that word revelation I keep saying it but I'll keep saying it more. That word apocalypsis literally means to open up a present to see what's inside. So the revelation of Jesus is Jesus saying, "I want to show you who I am." And to each church, Jesus is like, "These things say this is who I am to you because each church has different circumstances, different situations, and in each season of life God is trying to reveal himself to you. Who is Jesus? So he reveals himself to you, and then he reveals himself in you, because it begins with Jesus showing you who he is, and then Jesus' goal in showing you who he is is Jesus wants to form his own character inside of you, where he wants to shape our lives. Although we're all unique with different gifts and talents and styles, really we want the person of Jesus to be shaped in our lives by the Holy Spirit. So he, he reveals himself to us and then in us and as he shapes us so that we take on the image of Jesus, then he reveals himself through us out into the world. And God, that's always God's plan. I want to show you who I am. I want to transform you to be like me and then I want to leverage the work that I've done to now move into the world. And I'm here to tell you, God desires all of us to be a part of the work he wants to do because all of us have different spheres of influences different strengths and weaknesses different things we do well different things we don't do well but you put it all together and the body of christ works amazing so jesus wants to reveal himself now to the church in philadelphia he says these things say he who is holy he who is true so Jesus reveals himself as the one who is holy and the one who is true. Now that word holy is a word that you will pretty much only hear in church. And it literally means that God is wholly other or completely distinct. It speaks of the fact that there is only one God. There is only one perfect one. There's only one creator and sustainer and God has no equal arrival. So when it says that God is holy, it means that God is completely distinct of anything that you can think of, right? And not only is God holy, but God is also true, which also speaks to the fact that God is completely reliable. He's completely trustworthy, and he is completely genuine. There is no falsehood in God. Now, what's so challenging for us, I believe, is because so much about what we learn in life with people is that people aren't distinct, right? They're not genuine and there's falsehood. So we're not used to having a relationship with someone who is perfect, who is completely distinct, set apart. But only Jesus has this reality to who he is. And that's why learning as we walk with Jesus and we get to know him as we read God's word, we become more and more like him, which means we become more holy. As it says in Leviticus, you shall be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Because Jesus is true, falsehood is something that gets removed from us. We don't want to walk in falsehood. We want to be honest. In a lot of ways, true vulnerability and authenticity comes from knowing a holy and true God who we feel free to be flawed. Can I just tell you guys something? Our world at this point is making sure that none of us put on a facade anymore. And I actually think it's a scary thing, but it's a beautiful thing. Listen, nobody has it all together. Nobody has all the answers. Nobody bats a thousand. And that's why Jesus was the only one who conquered death. That's why I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus because when I believe in Jesus, I have everything right. I believe in Jesus because when I walk with him, I realize how much wrong I have things and how completely necessary Jesus is. He is our savior because he's the holy and true one. I've never been holy or true one day in my life, even though I might try really hard. And any growth in me is an outgrowth of the fruit of Jesus in my life, nothing that I've done on my own. So we can't even take credit for it. you know. And in a world where everyone wants to take credit for everything, everyone wants to pat themselves on the back, it's like Jesus is like, hey, my way is a whole different way. So Jesus is the holy one, he's the true one. But then he says, and it's very unique to this church, he says, He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, this is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. And that's why I said that That really what we learned in the beginning is that we need to take the open door because Jesus is saying, I am the one, I have the key of David, and I open and no one shuts and I shut and no one opens. Now, if you go to read Isaiah 22, what you find is that, there is the transferring of power in Judah from an unfaithful secretary of state, so to speak, named Shebna to a more faithful one, a guy named Eliakim. And the idea of Eliakim receiving the key of David, David was the king. And so because Eliakim, as the secretary of state, was given the key of David, that he got to work with the authority of the king. And any door that David wanted open was going to be open because Eliakim was his ambassador. And any door that David wanted closed would be closed because he had the authority of the king. And Jesus is saying, in effect, that because he is the Messiah, the holy and true one, he can open up doors that no one else can open and he shuts doors that no one else can shut that he has complete and total authority over all these things. And then it's amazing. So he starts with this idea, and then he says, I know your works. And he says, see, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. That's why I said that really what we learn is we need to learn how to take the open door. Jesus is telling the church in Philadelphia, I know who you are. I know what you're doing, and there's an open door before you, And nobody can shut it. And he really he's speaking about, for the church in Philadelphia at that time, there was open doors of opportunity. He had opened up opportunities for his work to be done. And he's saying, and the door that I opened, no one can shut. The apostle Paul understood this. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me And there are many adversaries. See, Paul's like, I'm staying in Ephesus because a door's opened up. And although there's adversaries, I got to walk through this open door. And brothers and sisters, listen, God has opened up doors for each one of us in all different ways. And the key for us is to learn how to take those open doors. Now, don't miss this. When God opens a door, it does not mean it's going to be easy. Because Paul said there are many adversaries. So we have this idea, and and this is not a biblical idea, but it is a cultural idea. And when I talk about the day and age in which we live, it's not because I'm negative about it. I'm grateful to be alive today. But I realize that we live in a world that says when things are easy, God has blessed it. And I'm here to tell you, you won't find that in your Bibles. I wish it was in my Bible, but it's not in there. Our Bibles say things like, all who desire to live life godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution it's like no one likes like no one's like that's my verse Like, like no it's like but that's what it says and we have this tendency to think that god is in the easy things and he's not in the hard things but if you really look at your bible god's in the hard things And sometimes he blesses us with easy things, but by and large, when God opens a door, you gotta do stuff and it's gonna be hard to get through that door. I think of Jesus, we talked about it already. Our salvation was not easy for Jesus. Getting the gospel out in the book of Acts, sure, they had the the day of Pentecost and the house was shaken and, and the tongues of fire and preaching and, and 3,000 people got saved. And in the next chapter, Peter and John are getting arrested. So we have this tendency to think, oh, man, when God's in it, it's going to be easy. I'm here to tell you, no, taking the open door is not easy. And that's why so often we don't want to move through the open door. Because we realize there's adversaries. It's not going to be easy. You know, it's amazing. When I look at all the open doors that God gives us as a church family, a lot of them are hard. Hard. See, brothers and sisters, what are the open doors that God has given you? See, we live in a day and age where we don't really want to be inconvenienced too much. Which I think that a convenient society doesn't really take for much boldness or courage. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should make our lives hard for no reason. But really for the church of Philadelphia, what we're going to see is there's an open door there. And they're taking Jesus like, that's a door that I've opened and no one's going to shut that door. No one's going to shut that door. And for each one of us, God has opened doors. And as a church family, God is opening doors. The question is, are we willing to suffer what it's going to take to walk through that door? But when Jesus opens a door, he intends for us to walk through it. So what is it for you? Listen, I'm here to tell you, the reconciliation that's needed in that relationship, that's going to take some work and it's going to be scary. It is. But when God opens up the door, you you walk through that. Somebody is bound to say, well, Daniel, how do we know that when God's opened a door? That's a great question. I always like to tell people that one of the things that I've learned over time is you don't know what doors God wants to open, so you just knock on them and see what happens. It's pretty simple. Like maybe you're like, listen, I really believe that God wants me to do X. Well, have you knocked on that door yet? Isn't that simple? Like when a door is shut in front of you, and you want to open, what do you do? I live my life doing this. I think I, so much of what God has done in my life is because I was just, I'm not a ding dong ditch kind of a guy, but I'll just knock on a lot of doors. Like what's going to happen here? What's going to happen? Hey, maybe God's in this. Maybe this is what God wants. Who knows? And you open some doors and they open, but you got to take the open door. And, I, and here's what I want to tell you. There's open doors in front of each one of us in all different areas the question is, is, are we willing to step through those doors? Jesus is telling the church of Philadelphia, he's like, listen, I've opened the door. No one can shut it. And then he tells us a little bit more about the church in Philadelphia here. Because look what he says. At the end of this, he says, for you have a little strength. You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Now notice this. The church in Philadelphia has a little strength. So it's not like this church is really like feeling super strong. Like he's saying, like, you're kind of, you know, you just have a little strength. You just have a little bit left in the tank. Things are not exactly easy for you right now. But notice, you have a little strength. And then he says, you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. Because they've been what? Faithful.
1: Jesus is faithful. The church in Philadelphia was praised in today's message for its faithfulness to the Lord. But God didn't promise that things would get easier now, and he didn't apologize for the rough time they'd been having. No, he reminded them of his greatness and gave us a great example from which we can learn. Pastor Daniel shared that no matter what you're going through, good or bad, you can choose to be faithful too. You can cling to the Lord Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will ask you a question. How is God inviting you to be faithful today? You can answer that right now. Maybe he's asking you to talk to a coworker. Maybe he sees your trial and is asking you to trust him. You have the opportunity to follow the example of the Philadelphian church in your response. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called The Revelation of Jesus Christ next time. Until then, may God bless.